So Star Trek First Contact is the best TNG movie. And I know exactly what reaction you're having. It, it's this is I, uh, we've said this a few times. I haven't said this in a while because DS Nine has not earned this. But this is one of those movies that feels like a first draft. There is a lot that's really good here, but I feel like it doesn't quite line up in some ways. I think the concept number one, we have two completely different movies here, but that's a different story. Which I actually think is okay. Yeah, and I will get to why I think that's okay. But you know. Number one, seeing the Borg taking over the Enterprise, that's a big exciting thing. Like, yes, that could be something very scary. And, you know, the Enterprise, you know, which is their home, which is a thing we love very much, you know, being just... But it's not the same Enterprise. Well, that, that's, that's, par- that's part of the general thing, I guess, you know, which I'm leading up to is that, you know, that would be a great scary thing. Seeing the first contact scenario and seeing Zephram Cochran in his quote-unquote prime is an interesting thing. But yeah, yeah. they neither story is just quite there it, 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 it's the, the cake isn't quite baked yet well i think that that i kind of agree with you and i kind of disagree with you i i think that this is the best version of this movie that we could have gotten um this actually went through quite a few story revisions there yeah. were differences about you know, as I understand it, so they they kind of had this idea. So I think Rick Berman came to uh, Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore, who got the job to write this movie, I guess, because of the resounding critical success of Star Trek Generations. I don't know. <laughs> um, and they wanted to bring the Borg into it because they thought, okay, this is a big budget movie. that's yeah. It's on the big screen. We've never done the Borg on a, the big screen before. And we've never really spent that much time with the Borg. Because yeah. remember at this point... Uh, the Borg had been on TNG all of five times. They had been on uh, they had been on a, a, a Q Who Best of Both Worlds parts one and two. Obviously, um, they had been on iBorg, and then I guess six times technically because Descent and Descent Part Two. But they were barely in the first part of Descent. Yeah. But we really only saw the actual Borg, you know, in a two half stories dozen times at most. Well, no, I mean even like the actual Borg, quote unquote, the collective, we only saw a couple of times because yeah, yeah, yeah. iBorg oh. and Descent were both not really That's the collective. True. So I'm I'm okay with that. Like yeah. I think that at this point, you know, DS9 has never really done anything with the Borg. You know, DS9 had been on the air for for four and a half seasons when this movie came out. So it's okay that they want to do the Borg now. Yeah, and frankly, the added money onto the effects budget works very well in terms of you know creature effects, in terms of you know creepiness. I I would say it works. Yes, especially you know, I think the effects around the Borg Queen are excellent. I think all you know, the makeup is very good. The scenes of the crew members being assimilated is horrifying, as it should, which be. is something we've never seen before. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that, and I think that it, it, where the movie really sort of starts to get a little, yeah, is that there's there's problematic elements to this movie that. I think are there because this is a big budget movie that they were trying to appeal to both Star Trek fans and non-Star Trek fans. And, you know, I started out this conversation by saying, okay, there is, um, there were a lot of story revisions to this. I mean, as I understand it, this came, Rick Berman came to them and said, I would like to do time travel. Okay. Rick Berman has a hard on for time travel. That's fine. Uh, just refreshing there. So they really had there. Oh yeah. Of course. Star Trek four was the big time travel movie. Yeah. But I think that was the only other Star yeah. Trek movie that had had time travel in it to this point. So they kind of combined the two stories and they kind of came up with different, uh, uh, time periods that they hadn't sure. done before. So they initially, they were going to do, um, uh, the civil war. Okay. Which might've been interesting. 
Uh, they were also thinking about doing um, Renaissance uh, Europe, a Renaissance okay. Italy, which also would have been very interesting. Yeah. But a couple problems with that were, number one, they felt like most of the audience would not be that familiar with Renaissance Italy, which, you know, is fair. And also, that's a very expensive time period to get across screen. Yeah. So as ha- cool as it would be to see everybody in the clothing, for example. Right. Uh, you know, the, one of the standout scenes is the Dixon Hill sequence. You know, it's always nice to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the dress that Lily is wearing is awesome. All the costumes are really cool. So, so, so they, they decided to go with uh, a time period that had been sort of talked about but never really shown. The sort of like post-World War III, yeah. pre-Federation time period. And hit upon the idea of bringing Zephram Cochran into it and bringing in the idea of first contact and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. So I think that conceptually what they came up with is probably the best version of yeah. the story that we could have gotten. I think having the Borg attack again en masse. Okay, fine. Yeah. I'm on board with that. It was going to happen eventually. This time uh, they're doing another inven- uh, invasion of Earth in the past. Yes. Invading the Enterprise. Yeah. These are all big bu- These are all big screen stories. Yes. As it turns out, their real idea was to send a small ship back in time and destroy the Federation before it became the Federation. That's a... Okay. Yeah. That's a good plot, and I like that. Um, also, interestingly enough, in sort of one of the earlier drafts of this story that became Star Trek First Contact... Picard actually stayed on the planet and had an entire sort of love story with the character of Lily. Okay. Now, I'm glad that they cut that. I don't think that would have worked. And having Picard on the Enterprise having to battle the Borg while Geordi and um, uh, uh, Cochran Cochran and Riker Riker are all on the planet having to do that part of it makes sense. Yeah. I think that, you know... One of the reasons why Generations didn't work is that it was kind of just a... TV episode that was blown up to a two-hour movie. It, it, most of it was a gimmick to get Shatner and uh, uh, Stewart in the same screen. Right. And, you know, the other primary problem that I think we have to grapple with the TNG movies now that this is the second one that we've seen is that, you know, the TOS movies worked mostly primarily because they had three strong protagonists that the original series revolved around Mm -hmm. and yeah you could drop in sulu you could drop in uhura you could drop in Chekhov, and it didn't feel like you were giving them short shrift because they were never that big a part Mm. of the show whereas all of the main characters of tng were a pretty big part of the show and so they all had their own episodes focusing on them whether they were them yeah and so that's kind of where one of the reasons that I remember why we didn't like Generations as much is that it kind of gave short shrift to some of the characters. Yeah. This splitting of the story and having some of them be in their own story and some characters be in another story, I think was a way to sort of try yeah. and mitigate that. And I think it kind of worked. But at the same time, uh, you know, Troy really ha- Troy has a few scenes in the beginning. She has a, fu- a fun drunk scene and that's all she really appears in. Uh same with Dr. Crusher, you know, has that bit at the beginning. It seems like it's going to be her story for a few minutes, and that's that's it. You know, she doesn't really do much. I think it's true, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's very difficult to give seven main characters yeah. a, a equal amount of screen time. Except, you know, though, again, I, I don't – I've never seen Insurrection or Nemesis, but I doubt that they're focusing on Troy and Crusher Oh, we should makeup. watch those sometime. Yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah, they're no, they're not. And I think that you, <laughs> you know, know yeah, yeah, and I guess that would be okay. Like, 
it's okay in the uh, in the TV series if we have a Picard episode and a Riker episode yeah, because there's yeah. going to be a Troy episode. There's going to be a Crusher episode. There's going to be a Geordi episode. You know, we are eventually going to get to all of them and, you know, it being a movie, yeah, that it's a nature of the beast kind of thing because you do kind of have to. But still, I wish they'd found more for them to do. Yeah, I suppose so. And I think that, that, you know, you could argue that having the two female characters on the on this show or in this franchise or whatever you want to call it also be the characters that have the least yeah. amount of screen time. Okay, that's a little problematic. Because even Worf, I would not, I would say Worf is not a main character of this movie, but he has some scenes to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, wh- one of the reasons why um, I wanted to wait to watch this was primarily just because of the Defiant War. Yes. I mean, there really is no other connection to DS9 at all. And I think that, you know, we probably could have watched this movie. I wouldn't have, honestly, seeing it, I wouldn't have noticed. I know that, you know, there was... Uh, oh, he's on a ship. Okay. Exactly. I mean, the... the I, I would just assume that after, okay, Worf left, he went his separate way, and then, can't, you know, he's just on another ship right now. Yeah, it, there is nothing really special about the Defiant. They don't say, oh, you left DS9 to come here, you know. Right, kind of thing. right. And also I assume that because I know why – so this was released about halfway through season four, which we just – A little – no, finished. no, no, halfway through season five. Oh, halfway through season five. But either way, I assume it's going to be a kind of thing where – you know, there's an invisible episode of DS9 where Worf, you know, is called to go on the Defiance. I don't, even think, they, I don't even think they mention it, honestly. Yeah, it's just, you know, so this happened in the background. Obviously, you know, nothing happened on DS9, but they did some security drills and that was it. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that all kind of works, yeah. at, at least at least as well as it does. And I think that, you know, uh, I, I think that, you know, we have to grapple with the fact that, you know, this is the best TNG movie. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's my favorite TNG movie. I'm actually an insurrection defender. I don't think insurrection is that bad. And, you know, well, the thing is, I don't know why they needed to turn TNG into an action movie. Well, yeah, this is it's half aliens, half Terminator. Well, that's what Ronald D. Moore said. He said they basically wanted to do Die Hard on the Enterprise. Yeah, which, and it, here's the thing. All right. I but, like Die Hard. I like Aliens. I like Terminator. I like seeing Patrick Stewart in a sleeveless T-shirt. But um, but I, I want to see those movies. I want to see Star Trek. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I think that if that's you, not the strength of the franchise. I yeah, and I don't know. I honestly don't know why they decided to go in that direction. You know, I, yeah. I, I that's an open question. I think that has never really been satisfactorily yeah. answered. I mean, I guess if I want because. Though I will say, when I'm talking about the parts of this movie that I felt didn't quite work, I wouldn't say that the action sequences didn't work. I thought they were very well. You know, it, it while I wouldn't expect a space horror movie from Star Trek, this was a fine space horror movie. You know, in terms – there is something – you know, again, seeing the assimilation sequences were so well done. That was very scary. The the, the situation of seeing the engineering room turn into a Borg, you know – Po- you know, all these pods around that's that's horrifying to watch i mean this is the we we've talked a bit on our ds9 episodes about you know ds9 is becoming home and we've said you know whether or not the enterprise was home for these characters and in this one picard does say the enterprise is home at one point now we're gonna have to talk about the fact that this is a new enterprise but there is a sense of 
home is being corrupted in this. We see a version of Earth that's been turned into Borg. And these are horrifying things to see. Yeah. In terms of, you know, we sometimes talk about stakes. It is true that these are about as big stakes as we can go. And that part is well done. What I thought doesn't work, number one, I'm not entirely sure the Cochrane sequences work. Okay. Um, and I kind of agree with you. I feel like while I think I really liked the actress playing the Borg Queen, I really liked the design of it. That uh, scene of, again, talking in effects, you know, her her head and spine being lowered into the bot. That's scary as hell. That's really good. The But I feel that she was doing – she was really elevating some material that wasn't quite as well thought of as it should have been because – Here's – yeah. Here, I don't think they understand what the status of the Borg Queen is. Here, OK. Here's my question for you and this yeah. is really at the heart of what the Borg become because this is a pretty fundamental change to what we assumed the Borg were. Yeah. And does it make sense? Does it work? Like, you know, I, you know, and I, I go back and forth on this. I, I understand why they did it. I yeah. understand that they felt what they felt that yeah. a movie needed a it needs a villain, a literal embodiment of what the villain is. They needed a personal touch to that. OK, fine. But and that there, you is know, this the way to do it? I, I don't know. I, you know, because because this is what I say when I mean they don't know what she is, because you know, all she, all her answers are very cryptic. Now, I don't know if the intention was to, because the, I know the Borg are eventually dealt with in Voyager, and while oh, who are they? Uh, um, while at this, so just really quick side note: where is Voyager at this point? So Voyager is in its uh, third season when this movie is released. Okay, so they definitely, it, it's definitely possible that they could be raising this question of who is this mysterious figure and that's something that's going to be answered just, in the just series. To, yeah, just to put it in a little this is a little complicated and we actually talked about this a little bit after we watched the movie last night but you know th- this is where this is where the whole you know Star Trek production gets a little complicated because uh, TNG had obviously been off the, the yeah. air for, for a couple of years at this point, and DS9 was was in the middle of its fifth season, um, and Voyager was in the middle of its third season. So I think I think the math is right on that. Uh, yeah. yeah, it is right, because this would have been, I think, November of 1996. So, yeah, that would have been correct. So I'm just doing the math in my head. Sorry if that's boring. <laughs> Uh, and and Voyager did not actually deal with the Borg until the end of its third season for the first time. Okay, so you're looking at um, you're looking at not seeing the Borg for quite a while at this point. And I think that once the Borg were dealt with in first contact, you know, I don't know if the plan was always yeah, to have yeah, the I Borg and Voyager is it just or that not. They but didn't, you know, because it's one thing if they didn't manage to work that out for a season or two afterwards. I but but that's well, and Brian and Braga worked on Voyager as well, so he certainly has ideas of what the Borg. I, were, I mean, I will but... just I will just say, and we will talk a lot about this when we get to Voyager in a few yes. months. But you know, uh, uh, when TNG ended, you know, DS Nine got Renee Renee DS Nine got Ron Moore, <laughs> and Voyager got Brian and Braga. So yeah. I, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. but not not to disparage Brian and Braga. I think he does get a little bit of a bad rap in the fandom, and I think that he did try and do some interesting things, especially with Enterprise. But that's an aside. That's yeah. that's an aside. Uh, so anyway, either way, uh, and the audience obviously knows this, but I'm going in this with no idea of really what what the Borg are or where they go from theirs. That said, what do I think the Borg queen is? I think is the most important question at this point. And, and not only that, but let's not forget that this movie 
retcons the Borg queen to have been on the same cube that Picard was yeah. when they assimilated well, him to be Locutus. See, the, here's the thing, because I don't think, you know, there's the one line where he's, you know, Data saying, oh, are you, um, you know, are you their leader? Are you their representative? Do you speak for them? And she says, that's that, you implied disparity where there is none. So to a degree, I think of every Borg drone as a sense organ in a way. Mm-hmm. They are sent out. And they come and report back. Their data is essentially put into a hard drive. You know, oversimplification, but that's what happened. This hard drive contains the sum knowledge of every Borg drone that has ever gone everywhere. This hard drive is replicated as many times as there are Borg cubes, for example. It's beamed into every member of the Borg every time. When a Borg goes into that pod, I assume that it just syncs up with the main, gets everything, you know, and then goes out, gets more data, everything is synced in. So the Borg Queen is... It's like when you plug your phone in at night and it backs up to iCloud. Yeah, basically. So that's basically if you take everybody's iCloud is synced together and then you download that into a body. That's what the Borg Queen is. Because, I mean, there can be... Never, I, I, it makes no logistical sense for the one queen, the one individual, to be on this mission back in time for one planet. So, you know, I assume she is a personality who can be part of the implication with having her, a see her hat, head attaching to the body is that she is being designed and created right at that moment. And so I would say, you know, the flashbacks to the best of both worlds time with the board queen are more symbolic in a way she is a personification of the voice and the spirit and in a way the soul of the borg i think you're wrong. I, I i wish i could agree with you but i i do think you're wrong because picard says he remembers her of course so and i think that we have to assume that, that at least the movie is stating that she was there either way you know that well no i think it doesn't i, I, I mean, think it's an important thing because i think that it fundamentally changes what we think the borg yeah. are and you know, frankly, I don't know if I like the idea of the Borg Queen. I think that the idea of the Borg Queen, as it develops later, and again, I'm talking a little bit yeah, about Voyager of here, course. but you know, I like your conception of the Borg See, Queen a lot better. The Borg Queen is what the Borg does to help yeah. somebody, you know, have in somebody this, to talk to. In but this it particular, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work like that. The Borg Queen is obviously directing the Borg in this movie, and yeah. it doesn't make any sense. I know. I mean, part of you know, I'm taking this as. See, it's been it's uh, it's been interesting comparing the Borg to the to the Dominion. Now that I have the Dominion in my, you know, in, in my knowledge, and to a degree, like I, I'm thinking that the Dominion plus the Jem'Hadar equals the Borg in some ways. Uh, the 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 Domin- the the you mean the sorry, founders the founders yeah the changelings and the Jem'Hadar. The changelings represent the collectiveness of it, the lack of individuality, the the um. Jem'Hadar are more of the forcibly, you know, genetically, you know, modified soldiers kind of aspect of it. They serve similar functions, but whenever we see the the founders talking to someone, usually Odo, they're incarnated into that one woman who looks very much like Odo, and she, she tends to be the one founder that we see. I assume it's the same actress each time. Uh, I, I, yeah. That's not necessarily intended to be one literal character, one individual. That's just the the collective spawns a speaker to speak, and you know it's nice visual shorthand that she looks like Odo. It's nice. There's a reason why yeah, she looks like that. It's it, to tell know, the audience that she's a change. Exactly, like. and for the you know we have the same actress every time, so we're not confused. Frankly, anytime we've seen multiple change things, we'll be Oh. They all look the same. So, you know, 
that's a version that makes sense. We do not consider the who whoever their speaker is or you know yeah. to be you know she is intended to be a representative of all of the thoughts of the founders together at that one moment, and that's fairly clear in a way that the Borg Queen is not clear at all. Yeah, I have to say I I figured that out about the found the founder woman fairly quickly into the first episode. We see her. They didn't make that, and I guess that that in a way is some of is a very salient point of the difference in thinking between TNG era and DS Nine era. Well, yeah, it is, and I also think it's a salient point between the difference in approach between TNG the TV show and TVG the TNG the movie yeah. franchise. Because you know, if they had introduced the Bora Queen on the TV show, I think that we would have gotten answers to those questions, and I think it would have been much better thought out. I think that the genesis for the idea of the Borg Queen, if she had appeared on the TV show, would have been very different. You know, yeah, you have to look I at mean, you have to look at motivation here, and the motivation for the introduction of the character of the Borg Queen in First Contact is to have a villain now yes but here's the thing like I mean, is that a good reason i don't know i gotta be honest though because we have that there is that one borg that we see uh the drone that we see who is we we see him throughout the movie he is this you know one particular one who who tends to be i have no idea what you're talking about okay i i really got the sense that one of the borgs was the same throughout the movie and just happened to like be do you know what i'm talking about one of the drones one of the well, drones. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he becomes a re- he is a recurring villain throughout this. Just as a minor, you know, he is a drone henchman, but the same actor is is. Oh, oh well, it, that's because they had a Borg. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not that was not intentional. Like, I don't think that they really meant that to be like a recurring character. I think, but it, it feels just like, like they had eight, they had eight actors that were playing Borg. But I guess what I'm saying is that it doesn't matter whether or not it's the same character or not. It is a recurring villain that we see that we get to. Oh my God, he's the strongest. Well, we. I, I mean, it, I don't it, like. Let me I don't finish want to go, my thought. Okay, he comes off as, oh, he's a really strong board. Oh, he's really a really scary one, and that's about as far as it goes. What I'm saying is, we could have had a character taking the role of the main villain. We could have had this actress playing her, but she's not really. T- she's just in another drone who is performing this role. It is one that we particularly see throughout. That is particular. You know, that may be using seduction against. Uh, data. Maybe this particular drone was chosen for that ability. Maybe, you know, those kind of a thing. So you would have an incarnated main villain who is tends to who is doing the point leading of this, but who wouldn't well, have the baggage that creating the queen would have. I, yeah, I agree with you, but I think that there's a couple things there. I think number one is that you know, it is true that the same Borg appear in the yeah. movie over and over again. But like I said, that's because they had eight dudes playing them. So it's not, you know, I, I don't think that, I mean, I didn't notice that. I don't think that there's, I don't think that's intentional in any way. And I don't think that that was really it's, something that they were, that, that, that wasn't designed for, for the same Borg to even be noticed by the audience. I think that you're oh. supposed to look at their, you know, scary appendages and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't really think that you're supposed to notice it's the same person. Um, I do think it's interesting that you notice the same Borg when you don't notice faces Isn't any that, other time. I know. No, <laughs> so, like it, it comes off like but, how we how we see a couple of uh, Borg that are Federation crewmen, some that we might have noticed as a you know. Again, there are these are intended to be a finite collection of Borg, only a few hundred. So yes, and yes, there are only a few number of actors. I don't know. It just it was a but subtle I think, effect. Well, for but me, I think but, that that yeah. Well, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I kind of am. But I, I think that you are. I think that, you know, the thing about the Borg in this in this movie especially is that, you know, I don't know if you need the Borg Queen. You know, and I think that 
the movie doesn't really the movie introduces this really really fundamental shift mm. to the Borg and I think if you don't know anything about Star Trek and you just want to go watch this movie I think you have a fine time I think it's entertaining I think it moves along at a nice clip I think Jonathan Frakes does a good job directing it and everybody's yeah you know everyone's doing a good job here um, but I just don't know if on a Star Trek level it really makes sense to do this I don't think it's really well thought out I don't think that they really thought through the implications of what this would yeah, do to the Borg and I agree with that if they had thought about you know, again, this is this is the the show going through the series going through a process of accrual rather than um, they had these ideas at the beginning. It's not as if in best of both worlds, you know, they sat down and they hash out all, and there is a Borg queen, and this is how the Borg work. And she's not going to be in this episode because we'll you know we'll show her in a different one. There's so much going on right now, but and it's even like things like the the stated reason why they kidnapped Picard and assimilated him in yes. best of both worlds was to create a spokesperson. Well, they have one, so why do they need? Yeah, Picard? like it's just I don't know. It's very yeah, and I mean that's that's the thing because like. Picard has an identity as a Borg. He is Locutus. He's not third of five like Hugh was in. Uh, right. But at the same time, I mean, we can – you can, I, Locutus is a difficult case because he is a Borg with an explicit identity. Yes. He's not, and um, there, this movie does imply the existence of different ranks because they talk about a drone. Locutus was definitely not going to be a drone. Data Borg was definitely not going to be a drone, and neither is the queen. You know, she is certainly at she's the top. She's the queen. However many queens there are, she is at the top of the hierarchy. Again, it's it's implied that she can be spawned multiple times at multiple points because, frankly, in this universe at this exact moment, there are two Borg queens. Yeah, um, maybe. Well, you know, there's there's the current timeline, you know, there's the 2063 Borg Queen and then the, you know, Borg Queen who traveled back in time. So, you know, I don't know. Well, I think, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Let's move aside from the Borg Queen because I think we've probably yeah. done as much as we can with that. I but I, 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 guess the, I guess to sum it up, I feel like we thought about it just now more than they thought about it going into it. Almost. Well, and that's really what I think the, the, the fundamental problem with all of the TNG movies is to a large degree is that. They are privileging making these approachable to people that don't like Star Trek, and that's fine. I, you know, I think that you can go see Star Trek Four, for example, and not know anything about Star Trek and really like it. I think you can go see Wrath of Khan and not know anything about Star yeah. Trek and get a lot out of it. But they are still fundamentally at their heart Star Trek movies that are telling the kinds of stories that only Star Trek yeah. can tell. Is First Contact the only the kind of story that Star Trek can tell? J.J. Abrams thinks so. I mean. Huh? J.J. Abrams seems to think so. I don't know what that means. That he, you know, making a big action-y sequel. It's, it's, it's indicative of the problem with the TNG movies that they keep trying to do this. I, I just, I don't know why. And again, you know, you have to look at it and say, okay, Ron Moore and, and Brandon Braga wrote Generations as well. And Generations was a mess. Uh, they did a better job with this movie. I think it's a much better constructed movie. I think that yeah. the story hangs together a lot well, a lot better. But... At the end of the day, why is why are they turning TNG into an action franchise? I guess I ha- that's not why I watched yeah. TNG for seven years. No, I'm with you. And what does this what does this add to the TNG mythos at all? Or what does this add to TNG as a as a piece of art? It doesn't, right? I'm, ta- really. I'm having trouble, you know, coming up with a an answer to that. I mean, this is another. I guess one of the lingering questions that I have, and this is maybe 
Because it feels like a very separate thing in a way. Like, okay, a big question I have. How does this first contact scenario dovetail with the Bell Riots? Um, well, the Bell Riots took place in the 2020s, right? Okay. So that was pre-World War III. So how did how were the Bell Riots so significant if World War III destroyed everything? Well, yeah, I mean— No, no, no. These are my questions because— It's probably—I mean, I, I, I— I think this is very important because especially because to a very real degree, this doesn't—this is its own thing, which is not really worrying about continuity or what fit in before or how things dovetail into other things. I don't know— I don't know to what degree I have an answer for that because twenty first century Star Trek is. I mean, what I'm saying by that is the twenty first century of Star Trek, yeah. not twenty first century Star Trek, is just a mess. Yeah, and you know, there's a there's a there's a two parter in Voyager, which where they go back to 1996 Los Angeles, for example. Um, no mention of the eugenics wars, which you know was probably the right choice because the eugenics wars didn't happen. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you know it is a problem. I mean, you go back to Encounter at Farpoint, where we discover that in 2079 they had these kangaroo trials where people were sniffing drugs, and you know, and this takes place in 2063, and we know that the Vulcans had yeah. their first contact with them in 2063. So 16 years later, they reverted back to barbarism again. Like I just, you know, at a certain point, it's like you just have to go. You know what? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's move on. Well, because I, yeah, you, you know, we were. I don't know. It seems like they, you know, they're. It's fine to do the ideas in this movie, but yeah, they didn't think about the implications either for what had gone before or maybe even what's going to happen next. They don't, you know, having a Borg queen and then eventually having Borg and the Borg queen, if she is just their leader in Voyager, is stupid because that's not really a... That's not what the Borg was supposed to be. That's not what's interesting about the Borg. Yeah. 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 Um, The Borg are interesting because there is no individuality whatsoever in them. You know, Locutus is an interest... And I mean, they're trying to... I get, you know, this... This... Uh, we're talking about the fucking Borg Queen again. This, the existence of the Borg Queen implies an origin to the Borg where there is somebody who outfits herself with implants, who outfits herself with, you know, remote drones to get information from outside. And eventually, you know, even after her body dies, she is just so cybernetically into some kind of network that it just sustains itself and it can recreate this personality at will. And all of those kind of things, you know, that's a. But even that's more interesting than there is a leader, you know. Well, and I think, you know, maybe the final point to say about the Borg before we move on to the Zephyr Cochran stuff is that what I think it really comes down to is that the Borg are most interesting when their origins and motivations are opaque. Of course. And I don't – changing the Borg into – a sort of living, breathing society or culture with a leader that it, it doesn't work. It it, it humanizes it, them too much. It, yeah, it does. I think that ha- you know, obviously they needed they needed yeah. maybe they needed. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with the fact that they needed a villain, but I think that um, having a villain in the movie, you know, it does humanize it because here's a person that is the Borg now, part, and yeah, I mean, part of the. Part of the subtext of the movie, which they don't really do enough of, is that, you know, this is an opportunity for humanity and the Borg to finally, you know, get a get a crystalline entity moment together. 
Um, there is a lot of where. Do not- you really think that there's a chance of that though? I want there to be, and I guess because I believe in you know the message of Star Trek that I want there to be, and maybe that's a naive Federation viewpoint, but at the same time, I mean, yeah. But there again, the 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 Borg are an effective t- nemesis for TNG because they are the opposite of the you know the Klingons were the uh, original series en- enemy because they were the dark mirror of them. The the Borg certainly are the TNG crew's dark mirror, but at the same time, there are so many we're not so different kind of lines in this movie, especially between Data and the Borg Queen, that I can't entirely dismiss that. Which is all a problem because the Borg Queen is very ill thought out. Of, so yeah, and, I just, and of you know, course. it's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. But I think that, I don't know, I, I think we've talked I, enough I guess, about the Borg. Yeah, I, just, I guess I. I, I the, I, I said, you know, there's a movie that did these things a little more effectively, and I guess my last thoughts on the Borg is I wish the Queen had been better thought out, and you know that sense of that slight sense of tragedy at the end, you know, where Data says I do feel sorry for her, and Picard, you know, kind of agrees. Like, I don't know that it, there is. Well, a, I mean, I think a perfect encapsulation of where the movie goes wrong with the Borg Queen is having Picard break her spine. Yeah, thinking that's killing the Borg Queen. Yeah. I don't think that kills the Borg Queen. Oh no, especially again, <laughs> especially if she is like, a is a personality can just be downloaded into a drone that they will create. You know, yeah. they did not kill her; they killed that av- that incarnation, it, that avatar. It, exactly. It. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So let's talk about the other half of the movie, which is the Zephram Cochran stuff. It's fine. It's fine. I, I don't know. It's like a sitcom, basically. And yeah, I mean. I like James Cromwell a lot, but I don't like him in this movie. Okay. Well, I think – I don't know if you're supposed to. No, 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 no. I, I don't like – I don't think he does as good of a job. I No, I don't mean I don't like the character. I mean I don't like his performance. Hmm. Okay. Um, what what reasons do you not like it? I don't really have a strong opinion either way. So. I don't know. And part of it is because, you know, for example, Six Feet Under is what I, you know, first knew him for from, and he's wonderful in that. He's playing a very different kind of character, and I, I just think of him as more suited for that kind of a role. He had a few roles on Star Trek, uh, playing minor aliens, I believe, and I've always liked him in that. You know, he's always he's one. Of, you know, I, I I noticed a Borg twice. I've noticed James Cromwell before, but I don't know. In this, I don't feel like he quite sells the role as much as I want him to. To, I don't know. Yeah, but I think, you know, I agree with you, actually. And Not that he's bad in it, but... Well, you know why that is? Why? Because it makes no sense. Yeah. I think that's part of it, is that this entire conception of Zephram Cochran as some sort of genius drunk who's living on an abandoned missile silo in Montana yeah. and creates warp drive while people are, like you know, warming their hands in burning barrels. Yeah. Like, is it, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, we, so for the, for the patron special for June, which you will get, if you go to patreon.com slash truck about show and give us $5 a month or more, uh, is about the novel Federation by Judith and, and Garfield Reeves Stevens, which is an alternate take on the Zephram Cochran story. Okay. And I actually like it a lot better than this version of the Zephram Cochran story, because I think it actually makes a lot more sense. Uh, and so I think that what you're seeing is, 
I, I don't think that I don't think that James Cromwell. I mean, I'm speaking for James Cromwell now, and I don't mean to, but my my sense is he may not have a, may not have had a good sense of who this character is because I don't know that Brandon Braga or Ron Moore had a good sense did, of who I this mean, character is or what he was doing or what his motivations are or what his origin was. I mean, this is a man who is going to go to shun society, leave home, find a random crash on a land planet, live with an energy being, and then, you know, deal with an absorbed commissioner. I mean, that's that's where his story ends, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Which... I, I mean, you know, I, I and I read that the actor who played him originally died, and he would have been, you know, much older than the... I mean, frankly, that is part of it. I didn't picture the character being this old, as old at this mm. point, um, and that, you know... May have just been a. I think I read somewhere that they said, you know, oh, well, that's because of radiation, and you know, it's World War Three. No one gets good nutrition, whatever. Um, well, I think they did say in Metamorphosis from the second yeah. season of TNG or TOS that uh, Zephyr Cochran first made his appearance. That the the companion did yes. change him back to an earlier. No, 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 no. I'm fine with him. D eight, you know, D8, but especially at that point, that was even supposed to be years after his. Mm-hmm. You know, flight, I got the sense it was, you know, so, you know, 10 years go by, he makes that, you know, just be a man and let history decide. Another 10 years, he is sick of all of this, you I know. I mean, I don't think James Cromwell looks that old in no, this movie. No, no, no. He's... I mean, he might be like 50. Yeah. I don't think that that's like that weird. No, I guess I may, maybe pictured Cochran in his 30s, but again, partially based yeah. on the Metamorphosis episode. Um, I, I don't know. Like I said, it's not that he does a bad job of it. I know that we're not quite supposed to like the character, you know, he is a drunk and, you know, that's fine, you know, but... And it's 2063 and he's listening to Steppenwolf for some reason. Yeah, like, well, you know, (laughs) that's the equivalent of us listening to music from 1916. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I mean, like, he would have been bored in, like... Around now, actually. Yeah, around now. So (laughs) why would he listen to Steppenwolf anyway? Yeah, I just think that... I think what you're you're Why aren't we listening to Steppenwolf right now? We could be. I'll put it on. I I think that what you're you're picking up here, what you're seeing here, is is what I said earlier, where uh, the the timeline of 21st century Earth in the Star Trek timeline just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I guess... And I think that the idea of linking it to First Contact, I mean, I will say the the last scene with Zephram Cochran in the Vulcan ship landing, I mean, that's that's great. There there are some... Again, it's not a badly directed movie, and there are scenes like that that are that's a perfectly done scene. Yeah, I would say it's a it's a it's a well directed movie. I think yeah. it's probably the the best directed of all the the TNG movies. But you know, I don't think that Jonathan Frakes got enough directing work. I think he's someone that could have you know had a, a much you know a more a high profile action. movie directing um, mm. career because I think he's quite good. But you know, I, I just what what it really speaks to to me is that. You know, they came up with this idea to have Zephram Cochran in the movie. It's the first warp drive ship. The, the Borg are going yeah. back in time to stop it, so the Federation is never born. Okay, fine. That all, yeah. That's great. Let's, let's do it. And it's a fait accompli. There's no stakes there because they have to fix this. You know, there's no real... Um, I don't know. It does. It's not as fun as watching Kirk and Spock gallivant around mid 1980s San no. Francisco. Do you know what I? You know. No, I'm with you. And I think it that fix, it's it has the same problems as any fix the past movie. And I wonder, like, how? Why? How did Zephram Cochran do this? Like, <laughs> well, you know, the the. I mean, not to talk more about 20th, 20th century Earth, but 
past tense was all about trying to fix the you know, fix the past and make things how they were, and that had an extreme amount of stakes. We really didn't know yeah. how that was going to turn out. I mean, it's almost a shame that uh, Cochran gets to live in this episode because in, in in this episode in this movie because you can see a version where. Riker and Jordy have to pretend, or Jordy has to pretend to be Zephyrin Cochran, and and I mean, you 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 yeah. could you could argue that you know you had a, you had a question like, oh, well, how are the Bell riots the start of the Federation? Yeah. If you know, and I think maybe you're supposed to take that a little bit more symbolically. I mean, you know, yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. you know was a prominent civil rights activist in the '60s, and we still have black people getting shot all the time, yeah. fifty years later. So you know, I mean. It is, it is sort of like, you know, progress does come in, in steps and there are setbacks. So I think that I guess, you know, part, World War Three would be a pretty big setback. <laughs> I guess, you know, to me, what and the, part of it is I saw the DS9 episode before this. Um, it was aired much before this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess when you're going to deal with the time period, it's one thing. It's one thing if. This time period wasn't well thought out in TOS, even in TNG. But we're at the point where DS9 has made some very strong and had one of its finest episodes about a period in the 20th century, in 21st century, that seemed pretty fixed. And so if you're going to go into this area multiple times, you need to clean it up beforehand. (laughs) That they couldn't figure out how to get – you know, I mean this this honestly could have – there is a version of the first contact scenario in this movie that takes the Bell Riots into consideration. Maybe Bell Riots were the start of World War Three, and that led us here, and you know, now we're having first... I don't know. I felt like it would have been nice to have had that acknowledged. Well, and it's really strange, too, because, I mean, Ron Moore was writing on DS9. Yeah. I mean, he was aware of what was going on DS9. Especially... I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, that Deep Space Nine is sort of the, the stepchild of the Star Trek family and that I don't know that um, a lot of the, the things that the show was doing were yeah. really taken into consideration by, you know, Yeah, but they, they took the Defiant into consideration. I mean, it's not like we're talking about a little half detail. This is a, again, this was a significant two-part episode that made it clear that if this mission doesn't go right, the Federation is done. It yeah. had the same amount of stakes, frankly, as this movie. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I think that, that you could make an argument that, you know, first contact with the Vulcans is much more important oh, yeah. than the Bell Riots. So, and I think that, you know, like I said, I, I, I like that idea. I like the fact that the Vulcans appear and it's yeah. first contact and everything's wonderful. And, you know, then they go forward and this is the next step on the great journey yeah. of, of, of the Federation and Starfleet. And I think it's well done. I don't know that there's much else to say about it. I mean, the Vulcans are not a character in this movie. No. They just are there. I mean, Zephram Cochran's not really much of a character. He's just there to uh, get embarrassed and annoyed because he's being hero-worshipped by Geordi and Barkley and all these people and to get drunk. I mean, and hit on Deanna. It's just, you know, it, it nothing really... Yeah. It, I don't know. It's, like I said, it's a sitcom plot. I mean, what... A question that I had because the movie goes out of its way to hide that it's Vulcans until they take the cloak off. Um, like they even – like as the ship is landing, Picard is talking about an alien ship. Yeah. Like – but I, I – somewhere I knew that it was Vulcans that were, were, the, were the first I don't species that – I think that they ever say in the movie the word Vulcan. I – I don't don't think that they do. And I think part of that probably is just because, again, they were writing this movie partially for people that didn't like Star Trek or know anything about Star Trek and didn't perhaps want to, you know, 
make people feel alienated by having a long conversation about how they can't they need the Vulcans to show up because the Vulcans made first contact because they're coming from their home no, planet no, 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 Vulcan no, no, no. and they're yeah. founding members of the United Federation of Planets. I mean, you know, like I think that they it probably just seems just like left a that su- vague. It seems like a su- it's it's presented as a surprise and a tiny little twist. Yeah, and I think that's why. And I think it's, yeah. it's fine that they did that. I don't no. really have a problem with it. It's not so much a problem. I'm just wondering where I – was that mentioned beforehand or you know, in an episode or where did I get that knowledge from? Oh, that the Vulcans were, were yeah. the species that humans made first contact with? I don't know. I don't know that that was ever established before yeah. this movie. I mean, it makes sense. It does, yeah. I mean, I I, I guess maybe – yeah, I don't know. Um, that was just curiosity. Um, I really like Lily in this movie. Yeah, let's talk about Lily. We haven't talked about Lily. I think that she is the – of the two new characters yeah. in this movie, I think she's the, the, the best one, honestly, or the yeah. better one since we're talking about two. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah – I know, you know, you said originally there was intended to be kind of a romance between her and Picard, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that they don't really go into that. You know, they they do get very close by the end of the movie. You know, he does kiss her at the end, but uh, you know, they they are consider. You know, they they have almost a comradeship at the you know very end, which is also implied that that's what Cochrane and her have. You know, she is very much the. You know, and yes, she is very much the stable one who is getting him to, you know, do do what he wants. But, uh, you know, I think her arc is very interesting because the point that she starts from, you know, where she is just, we, you know, we, we see her doing, you know, holding guns on, you know, on Picard and, you know, running away from Crusher and stuff and all stuff that we think, you know, that are very bad ideas. She's ignoring the very people who will be. Yeah. But, you know, think of it this way. You know, her, her, her base is attacked. She probably has a hell of a headache and, you know, getting yeah. very sick. She faints. She wakes up. She's being told, you're okay, but we got to get out of here. You know, all hell is breaking loose. Like, yeah, she's fucking terrified. And I like that, she, you know, once Picard finally shows and she finally does realize that, you know, all right, the situation is very different than I'm thinking. She is able to process it. And, I mean, fr- frankly, the scene where... You know, Crusher saying, oh, once the captain makes the decision, you know, and she bursts right in and yells at him and gives him the exact dressing down. She, I mean, there are very few people who are able to do that. Riker is one of them. Guinan is another. In a way, Lily kind of takes both roles in this. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I, I like I said, I like Lily a lot. I think she's a good character. I mean, I wish that we could have gotten a little bit yeah. more information about her because I feel like in a way she's playing a role. She's not really a character, of course. if you know what I mean. But. What I like about her is that she's having the appropriate reaction to all yeah. of this, which is I believe that she is a 21st century native who was like, what the fuck is yeah. going on? I also like the fact that she doesn't really have time for anyone's shit. She's like, <laughs> just deal with deal with this. Like, yeah. why are you, you know. She and, reminds me of Kira in a lot of ways in that yeah. both of them grew up in uh, in in the middle of war and had to learn a lot of survival skills and don't want to deal with crap and, you know, don't, yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I think that, um, you know, obviously, you know, we talked a lot about the Boar Queen as, as the writers thinking it necessary because they wanted to have a stand-in villain. And, you know, I think that Lily obviously is the audience standing yes. character. She plays, I think, a very similar role to the character of Jillian Taylor in Star Trek Four. Mm. You know, she is the character that is sort of explaining what's going on to these people, <laughs> frankly, and also the 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 twenty fourth century twenty third century Starfleet characters are explaining what's going on to to her yeah and yeah I think that 
She she does she does she serves an important role in this movie because she is the character that is not sort of she has no baggage with the Borg mm-hmm. she knows nothing about them and she is able to get through to Picard in a way that I don't think anybody else would yeah. have been able to yeah she I mean she reads him very well she reads his you know his she. I mean, I guess, I guess she, in a she, I way, mean, she's the only one who has, you know, sees him with the Tommy gun and realizing how crazy he's going, you know, which you know. we'll talk about that because I kind of have a problem with that. But of course, but I think that in a way, I think maybe talking about Lily, this is making me realize that in a way she is the reason and why Zephyrm is able to do this because yes. she is his assistant or his whatever. And obviously she's a very strong willed woman. She's very um, focused on a goal and I can see that she keeps him on task and on point. You and know, she, she probably drags him home from that bar every night. Yeah. And, you know, she's waking him up in the morning. She, yeah. So, yeah. You know, um, I think it's interesting and should be mentioned that, you know, yeah, the focal character, the, the audience viewpoint character is a, is a black woman. I think that's not incidental and that's something that I do like about the movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what did you want to say about the holodeck sequence then? Well, OK, so the holodeck sequence and Picard. So I yeah. think that there's a couple of things that are problematic about this. I don't know that I necessarily buy that Picard is this damaged by his experiences with the Bork at this point. It's, yeah, we, it may be if this had happened af- shortly afterwards. But, you know, number one, we had, after he's rescued from the Borg, we have Troy giving his counseling. You know, in... He says it's been, what, six years since yeah, that happened. Even in, you know, one of, in I Borg at one point, you know, Troy comes in after they find that he's had a Borg, and he's obviously very upset, and she's... You say, how is everything, you know, and she's, he says, oh, I'm over. And she does, you know, make a point to say, listen, these things can reoccur even after you're done healing, you know. And so, yes, we are dealing with, he is dealing with flashbacks. There is, you know, obviously he, he is dealing with the situation, you know, two weeks ago when no one was talking about the Borg, he was absolutely fine with them in a presence. And there is implied that he has some kind of link with them, whether Well, so I think that there's a couple things here. I think that number one yeah it it kind of makes sense i guess that he has this reaction to the borg because this is the first time that he has been confronted with the full power of a borg collective cube in in since best of both worlds since he was assimilated um at the same time it's assumed that he's had you know many years of counseling with with counselor troy so and yeah he did have a little bit of a bad reaction in i borg so all right fine you can kind of we'll we'll round that up i can buy it We'll, we'll buy it okay um, but I think also at the same time, the the whole idea that, that Picard still has some sort of link to the collective is strange. You know, again, it, eh, does it work? Does it not work? I don't know. I mean, I think fundamentally the problem with a lot of what we're talking about with this movie is they're introducing a lot of ideas yeah. that they really don't have any intention of ever following mm-hmm. up on because, I don't know, it feels to me like this is the this is the first TNG movie where they realize that they don't have to they can change the yeah. status quo in a fundamental way and yeah, they yeah. don't have to deal with it because they're not making a weekly television show and I don't know if Ron Moore and Brian Braga are good at coming mm. up with things that change the status quo in a fundamental way. I mean, I I, I mean, uh, think think about what they did. Emotion chip, you know, Picard is a damaged person, the Borg Queen. These are all pretty questionable on? decisions. When did Jordy get new eyes? Um, that was in Generations, I thought. I I realized when I saw that, I think my note was, wow, I forgot all of Generations. But, um, 
that that's I'm pretty it. sure it was generations mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't i don't know yeah. but does it matter not really i think no, it's, just, I it's just, another thing where they're like hey it's a movie you know yeah i I guess that's my main problem with First Contact is like it's fine, but a lot of it when you're watching it, it just it keeps screaming at you. Hey, it's a movie. Hey, it's a movie. Uh, hey, it's a movie. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. And again, you know, it's fine to do sweeping changes that don't affect anything, but that's not the case here because we were dealing with DS9, we were dealing with Voyager, and you know, Voyager, as you say, especially was going to deal have to pick was going to have to clean up any mess that this show this movie left. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, and I guess maybe the final thing to talk about before we wrap this up is, is the enterprise itself, because I don't know. What do you think about this new enterprise? I didn't have any feelings about this new enterprise. Frankly, we really only, (laughs) we don't see a ton of it beforehand and afterwards. I mean, it's all Borgified. So I just looked up a picture of Jordy in generations. He did not have the eyes. So who the fuck knows? But anyway, Hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, that. It's fine. I'm not a huge fan of the Enterprise E. I don't like the look of it really. Um, it's a sovereign class yeah. ship, and I think it looks a little too aggressive. I don't really like the color scheme. I don't the new uniforms. I don't like. Oh, I like them. Okay, well, and that's you. you. Better get used to them because they're coming to Deep Space Nine. But it's so hard to tell what like track everyone's on. Yeah, well, it's kind of like wearing a Letterman jacket. You have to mm. look really closely at the back. Um, I don't mind looking closely at Letterman's backs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that, that that's another problem with the movie is that I think it may have been better if they hadn't destroyed the Enterprise-D at the end and mm. it had been the Enterprise-D in this movie because we don't yes. really have a connection to this ship. Th- that's what I mean. And you know, he has such a, you know, we are supposed to feel this is an abomination almost. This is This is horrifying that this is happening. You know, this is their home being corrupted by their very you know, biggest enemy, you know, we see the, again, seeing earth and seeing that the, uh, atmosphere is carbon dioxide and methane and fluorine. And, you know, there are 9 billion Borgs. That's terrifying to see that, 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 you know, the, the episodes of Homefront in the, uh, in DS9, you know, the, the, uh, the earth is being attacked. It's feeling like it should feel much more like a violation than it quite is. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's a fine set. I think they did a good job with it. I do like the bridge. I think it's a nice yeah. bridge. It's a little more military looking than perhaps I would like, but given the t- given the themes of the movie, it kind of works. Um, uh, uh, I have a plot hole type question. Oh, I love plot hole type questions. How did the Borg get on the Enterprise in the first place? Well, they said they beamed over when their shields were down. So there you go. How did they not figure that out? Anyway. It's the Borg. They can do whatever they want because they're the Borg. See, now that feels kind of half-assed to me. That, that, but that was something well, I did. Well, welcome yeah. to the TNG movies. Yeah. They're kind of half-assed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. I don't know. That that was the kind of – but that was the kind of thing where like we watched it. I left your house. I got on the bus to home and then I was like, wait, what the fu- – wait, what? <laughs> How did they do that? I don't know. I guess – well, <laughs> finally, maybe I'll ask you this before we wrap this up is – did you like seeing these guys again? At least, I mean, did it feel like I like what rewatching episodes better? Okay, I and I do think it's interesting that um, Data is one of our favorite characters, and we have not really mentioned him at all. He was one of my favorite characters, and they did this emotion chip bullshit. Yeah, I, 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 I was surprised to find how many how good this movie was received. Um, 
a lot of people say it's, you know, as you said, one of the best of the next gen franchise, and a lot of people apparently love. Roger Ebert loved the movie, and I, I, I don't I, know why. Well, I think you have to remember that saying it's the best of the TNT. And I, re- yeah, is, I'm realizing that's gr- damning with is grading on a pretty significant curve. Still, I don't know. It's this. I didn't like the movie. I wanted to like the movie. There were parts of it I liked, but as a whole. Would I see this again? Probably not. The music is really good. Oh, yeah. I think this is one of the only Star Trek movies that I can say has really remember- a really memorable score. I think it's great. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, I don't dislike it as much as some other people, but I also don't really think it's that good. So it's fine. It's fine. You know, if you just want to watch an entertaining movie, I think it's fine. If you want to watch a Star Trek TNG movie... Maybe just go watch. God help you. Just go watch Best of Both Worlds again. <laughs> Hell, um, even watch the fucking uh, Mark Twain one. Yeah, you could do that too. Uh, oh, and also I should mention that um, you won't know this because you have not seen any Voyager, but the um, holographic doctor that yeah. stopped the Borg when, you know, Crusher and Lily yeah, yeah, and everybody yeah. were trying to get away. Um, that was an in joke because that's the actor who plays the doctor on Voyager. The oh, Voyager okay. on Doctor is the holographic doctor. Oh. So, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, if you have any thoughts on our podcast about Star Trek First Contact, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, where, again, uh, this month we are doing our patron special on Federation, which is an alternate version of the Zephram Cochran story. So if you would like to perhaps hear our thoughts maybe on a better version of this story check that out uh, our social media username where you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram is trek about show and of course please leave trek about show a positive itunes review it is the best way to get new listeners to listen to our show it is i learned a thing so we took a little pause a little and maybe a race for star trek but uh that's now not what we, a media race means it means that if i think it means it okay uh, we're going to go to the fifth season of DS9 oh! next week, and we're going to find out what the fuck is going on with Odo, what the fuck is going on with Gowron. Is Gowron uh, a changeling, apparently? Uh, What's going to happen? What could happen? We'll find out. We're in never apo- going to find out. Apocalypse Rising, which mm. doesn't sound very good for anybody. And uh, we'll follow that up by talking about the ship. Which one? The ship. Yeah, I know, but which ship? The. Ah. Uh... 